And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So today's episode is going to be about something that you would not think would be a subject of this show, because many longtime listeners and viewers will know that I am a teetotaler. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the show or that term, that means I don't imbibe. I am not, I don't drink alcoholic beverages. Well, there is one, one story we may get to later on, but that's it. One. I don't drink it. I don't know about it. I don't really understand the culture, which is that's why this is a perfect topic for the show. This is a show about deep dives into things that I'm interested in. And I'm very curious to learn about whiskey, bourbon, gin, vodka. What makes them all different? Are some of those wholly American? And how did that shape the history of this country? Well, it turns out there's just a guy to tell me all about that. His name is Dr. Harris Cooper, and he wrote a book called America Through a Whiskey Glass, where he kind of looks at how whiskey in particular, but alcohol in general, kind of was a part of each milestone in this great nation, the history of this great nation of ours. So I can't wait to talk about that. But you will find something very interesting is that he started out as a homework expert, became a whiskey expert, and for those of you in the audience who are teachers... I know you give a lot of homework, you got to grade a lot of homework. At the end of the day, maybe don't kick back a shot of whiskey, glass of wine, alcohol, homework. I feel like it goes hand in hand. So we're going to get into this. I'm very excited to learn about that transition and the transition from alcohol distilled from a, as a yeast byproduct into uh, this great thing that we call whiskey. So without further ado, Dr. Harris Cooper, thank you so much for being on the show today. Starting this off, Harris Cooper is a great name for a Wild West sheriff. And whiskey and the Wild West, to me, go hand in hand. So uh, I know you're, you know, I know you're a professor, you're a professor emeritus, you're an editor-in-chief, uh, but have you done any law enforcement? Can I call you a sheriff? Anything. Um, you can call me anything you want, just don't call me late for dinner. You got, oh, and that might be a line from oh. Groucho Marx, who I think uh. is in your corner right behind you. <laughs> you got to, uh, which I see, let's see if we can get it on the uh, big, yeah, there we go. I got you pulled up on the video. I got Groucho Marx in the lower left-hand corner for those watching. A uh, famous line from Groucho Marx. And if, you know, uh, if I remember correctly, and I may be making this up, like me, Groucho Marx was a teetotaler or he was a complete drunk. I forget which one it is. But yeah, I know it's one, it's one or the other. I don't remember. But, uh, it was probably both, actually. <laughs> it's probably true. He, he was a, he was an enigmatic man, uh, a man of many, uh, of both sides of the pendulum. Uh, well, you know, so this is an interesting topic because I am a teetotaler. I don't drink alcohol. Uh, okay. I find the culture very interesting. The fact that they're, you know, uh, as a, you know, I do, a, I've got another podcast that I do uh, that's about pop culture science. And so a lot of times we talk about biological processes. I'm, I'm, I'm enamored with biology. And so, you know, the idea that yeast, this, this animal, uh, this creature 
can eat up sugar, uh, sit around in corn and wheat and rye, and then basically poop out alcohol uh, mm-hmm. that people for hundreds of years have tried to absorb. Thousands, into, of thousands, thousands of since the dawn of humanity. Absolutely. <laughs> have tried to condense this, this yeast poop into uh, a drinkable form. And, you know, not only do they try to get that alcohol, but they create a bunch of different alcohols. One we're going to talk about today. Uh, I mean, th- that's why I love this. Even though I don't drink, um, I'm blown away by the power of this, of this substance. Uh, uh, Dr. Cooper. Yes, well, um, uh, human beings um, have always uh, uh, looked for and discovered ways to alter their psychological state. Mm-hmm. Um, we we begin doing it first thing in the morning with caffeine. We do it with nicotine. We do it with alcohol. Those are our those are our three big ones. Yep. Um, and uh, ever since that first shepherd saw his goats uh, jumping up when he they ate the coffee beans yep. and said, yep. wow, that looks interesting. I think I will put one of those in my mouth as well. Right. Um, that's how these things have developed. And they have been around since the dawn of time. Yeah, and I think that, that that's not an apocryphal story. I think that that is actually yeah. verbatim. That is a piece of I drunk think, history. I think I saw that on the Comedy Central show, uh, Drunk History. Oh, well, then, then it has to be true. <laughs> I think so. But it is weird because, you know, I don't, I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't uh, take alcohol. I don't do drugs. You know, marijuana, mushrooms are on that list, too. Those are natural things before the lab synthetics right. got in there. But Peyote? Like, peyote, yes. Uh, ayahuasca. Um, mm-hmm. all these things. It is true. People, you know, uh, there's actually, you know, on this topic, uh, there's this great quote that I found about um, archaeologists. It's an archaeological theory. I'm sure you've heard of it, uh, proposed by Patrick McGovern of the University of Pennsylvania. And he said that agriculture, the entire agricultural business was started in order to grow crops for alcohol and that 40 percent of crops are grown to produce beer. I'm sure he's smarter than I am, but that seems excessive. Am I on the outside on this, or, or is there truth to this? Um, uh, I'm not going to argue with a professor uh, from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, uh, it seems like it's a little high mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms yeah. of— No pun intended. Uh, his pers- oh, I right. hadn't thought about yeah. that. Actually, alcohol is kind of a little low, you know. That's true. That's it's true. Depressing. So, That's true. Fair enough. So Fair it, enough. Seems a little, it seems a little—it seems a little—it might be a little high, but I could not possibly argue with him and be able to defend anything I said beyond what I've said already. Convince mm-hmm. me a little bit more. Uh, that would be the only thing I could say to him. So, but but what's certainly true is that since the since recorded history began, uh, people have been searching for ways to alter their psychological state. Mm-hmm. Um, and whiskey, alcohol is one, um, but so is um, nicotine, caffeine. And all those other things that we've mentioned, they're not used as frequently um, as the three we have, but um, it's it's always been there. It's it's when you sit and think about it uh, long enough, you wonder, um, you know, this is a very human thing. And and um, 
there must be something to it. We, we've managed to survive as a species. I don't know how much longer we're going to survive, right. but it's probably not going to be because um, we had a sip of whiskey before dinner or, uh, or a cup of coffee in the morning. Well, I will tell you, in your book, um, America Through a Whiskey Glass, I mean, you do talk about, you, you bring up a lot of presidents of the United States who were, uh, some, some were some were drunks, some were just every now and then. So a lot of the influences, a lot of the decisions, at least in the United States, and I would dare, dare I say, uh, across the world, have been made, you know, in, under the influence of alcohol. So it's either going to help us get out of the problem or it is the reason we're in the problem. And, you know, well, I like to make definitive statements here that the need to back them up with facts but uh i'm in a unique position because i'm not a professor with a reputation on the line okay well that doesn't matter you're an influential person and that's what's important <laughs> thank you well so are you this is you know what's what i love about this this is such an interesting twist for you a little bit because um let me see if i get this right so you're a professor emeritus of psychology and neuroscience at duke yeah. university uh, uh -huh. editor-in-chief of american psychologist that's still true correct uh -huh. uh, and that's that's the journal, the an academic journal of the American Psychological Society. Like the American right? Psychological Association. Association. Amer Association. The American Psych. Yes. Be careful. APS is a different organization. Sure. I was but of that. Um, so, but I'll forgive you. Thank you. The uh, <laughs> the the it, the APA publishes seventy to a hundred different journals. But the American Psychologist is the flagship journal. Okay. So it's okay. the journal that goes essentially goes to every member of the association, has a circulation of about 80,000. Got it. So this was, I thought this was kind of interesting to me because, you know, your previous work, uh, you know, one of the things you're most known for is this, you know, your work about homework, about how, you know, whether, how much is good. Yeah, I think you have 25 years huh? experience studying homework. Uh, Forty. Um, forty. Now, I'm, I'm, that's what I read must yeah. have been about fifteen years out of date. Yeah. Uh, for, so forty years of working about on homework. You you know you uh, you work. Uh, you're the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience. So you're aware a of how alcohol can affect the brain, uh, but b also addiction's tricky too. You know, alcohol is, is an addiction. You know, uh, people can be addicted to it. So it's interesting because this feels like quite a pivot. Is this you know from working on homework and children. Uh, and you work with neuroscience and psychology and then going into the history of whiskey, you know, so what kind of makes that kind of, I don't want to call it an about face, but we can at least agree it's a 90 degree turn. Um, yes, that's a good question. So uh, it, it, let's, let's call them parallel tracks. Okay. Okay. Uh, they're not, they're not necessarily related to each other other than up here. Um, my my uh, one of my hobbies for many years was learning about American history, um, especially about the West. So in my free time, when I wanted to be away from the uh, the rigors of academe, um, I would read history books. And, mm -hmm. and for as long as I have been reading and studying homework, I was also reading a lot of American history. Doing your own homework, so to speak. It, my, so to speak, right. yes. It, I, I didn't get tested on it until right. today. Right. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I, um, I, I loved it. And one of the, the funnest things was 
uh, because it's American history, it happened here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, my wife and I enjoy visiting historical sites. Mm-hmm. And we would we would do that and reading about the places we were visiting and the places we live had always been a fascination. Mm-hmm. And then another part of the book um, is um, a popular music. And, you know, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. Um, and um, basically, we all have a soundtrack to our life. Yeah. Uh, so the notion of digging a little bit deeper into that, and then especially going back to the times that I wasn't alive to see what were people listening to, that's an important part of the book already. Um, uh, so I wouldn't, uh, and, and I like to believe some of the methodologies that I used in terms of doing research, I used in writing the book. Okay. I mean, because that so, is one of your other, I mean, that is one of the other specialties, the methodology of research. And so you got to apply it. You got to put it into real world use. Uh, exactly. It was, a, it was a challenge because doing historical work, it essentially, is a little bit different from the kind of work that I was doing, which is dealing with doing uh, experimental research and what what we call meta-analysis, which is combining all sorts of different studies, was a a very different thing, but I always had an interest in um, doing good history uh, and wanted to try. It was a challenge, and I really didn't begin to do it until after I had retired and said, well, what am I going to do next? And and um, it was the history stuff. And, and whiskey, I don't know if you want to get into this right now, but, but the whiskey thing was... Um, kind of something we fell into. Um, we were in Colorado where we spend our summers and we were planning a trip to Colorado wine country. And we went into a big uh, liquor store in Boulder, Colorado, and we're standing in the, standing in the wine aisle. And I said to some guy, um, we're, we're thinking of a trip to the Palisades, you know, we're going to wine country. Uh, where, uh, where should we visit? And the guy paused and he said, California. <laughs> he and pointed to the Napa oh, Valley. It's only, no, it's about 2,000 miles that way. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just keep going west right. yeah, yeah. Uh, when you get to Palisades. So uh, he said, if you really want an uh, uh, interesting tour of of the Palisades, go ahead and do um, whiskey. And we did it. And and that's literally how it started. Well, I was, you know, it's funny you said that because I was in uh, Denver, Colorado, and I went to, I love, I'm also with you. I love it, visiting historical sites. Uh, you know, I visited distilleries and, and uh, huh? I guess beer factory, <clears throat> beer factory, it's a distillery, I guess. Um, and, and, you know, uh, wine farms. Uh, vineyards. That's it. <laughs> I'll get the words right at some point. Uh, but I went to in in Colorado. I went and to beer. Beer comes from a brewery. Brewery. That's 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 the one. Thank you. Uh, and, it's good and, to have. It's good to have someone here who who knows the American language because I need a little help and, through this. Uh, well, but it, 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 it in, in Colorado, I went to Stranahan's, which is a whiskey uh-huh, distillery, yeah. and it uh-huh. was it was amazing to see all of the oak barrels. That are around and, and it's, you know, uh, and all these gigantic steel because whiskey is kind of interesting 
um, because the way it's created is a little weird. It's very old style. You know, it's about you, huh? you, you have this this process, this kind of modern process of distilling. We have these gigantic steel containers. You know, as I said before, it's basically water. Um, some kind of grain, whether it's rye, wheat, corn, barley, malted barley, mix it with yeah. sugar, mix it with yeast, let it sit, uh, let the, the yeast do their thing, and then you suck the out, al- you distill the alcohol out as much as you can, uh-huh. then you stick it in a barrel for two to four years, and uh, you know sometimes you sometimes you burn the inside of the barrel, sometimes you don't. It's you know, it's wild. Two to four is the bottom. That's the that's the, the uh, uh, floor. That's the, a that's young that's a young whiskey. Two to four years, but two years you got to call it for to call it straight whiskey. It's got to be in the barrel for two years. Okay. So you can imagine what goes on at these places now, and this is a, a sort of an interesting part of it. There's been a huge increase in interest in whiskeys, um, and they they were they were running out of their stores. And they have to make a bet on right. what the market is going to look like ten years from now. Right. Will right. it continue? Yeah. It's future, so you got to bet on futures, basically. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 a huge for many folks. It's a huge gamble. There are other people, however, who are who are trying their darndest to uh, identify the chemical makeup of great whiskey and figuring out how to use sonar and light in order to create the the same chemical structures that it takes that whiskey in that barrel 10 years to produce the same taste. So people are really trying to figure out how to do away with all of that, that baggage that's called the way you make whiskey. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, as I mentioned, I have this this technology podcast. I, I love pop culture technology. I love science fiction technology. I'm always looking in to see what's new, what's what's up to date. But this is what's so weird about me. I, I like Groucho Marx. I am both a teetotaler and a drunk, apparently, because I, I swing both ways. I really enjoy technology, but also I like the old natural way that it's made. And I would argue that the whiskey that you make in a barrel... I don't care if it, a lab tells me it's the same. There are different things through the natural process that are just different than if you make it in a lab. I don't think there's really been anything that's been synthesized perfectly outside of maybe a chemical or molecules that would uh-huh. be the same. I think it's difficult. All, although on the other side of that, I don't know that I love the idea of whiskey, of drinking something that is dissolved oak barrel or dissolved charcoal, which is really what whiskey is. Because the longer it sits in there and the longer it interacts, you're kind of dissolving the wood. So I'm torn here, Cooper's. Can I call you Coop? I want to call you Coop. Uh, Coop, I'm, I'm stuck here. I'm, Just but, don't call me late for dinner. I won't call you late for dinner. But, but how do you feel about this? You know, I'm kind of throwing it back at you. What do you feel about the advanced technology versus the natural version? Um, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I like the old school stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sympathetic to the distillers. Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. of the distillers who are, who are, are the ones you, you know, I know that are sitting on the shelves in the liquor stores are, right. are doing it the right way. Okay. But there's also these young geeks um, with uh, advanced degrees in chemistry, 
who are decomposing the best whiskeys, figuring out what the chemical makeup of it is, and then trying to reproduce it quickly in quote unquote the lab. So that's that's not going to stop either. Um, sure. And some of those products have gotten some pretty good reviews from people who would be skeptics too. So it, it's, you know, it's 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 the modern world, and and you can't you can't um, you can't argue with it. You can argue with it if you'd like. You sure. can't stop it happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I'm all for it. I'd like to I like to see both. I mean, I definitely. I mean, look, uh-huh. I, I enjoy records and vinyl, uh, but you know, I, I have a lot of digital music as well. I understand uh-huh. the importance of both, and they're both. But I'm saying they're both very different, and I think people in that are that are closest to it pretend that they are the same, and I just I just don't think that they are. Um, you know, whiskey's kind of, whiskey's kind of interesting because a friend, a very good friend of mine, has, has gotten way into whiskeys lately, and I got him uh, just his birthday was just just passed, and I got him a bottle of George Dickel, which has got to be one of the greatest names um, for a whiskey huh. of all time. And you mentioned the other one, which is Four Roses Distillery, and uh, which uh-huh. is a blended w- uh, bourbon, I believe, actually. And yes. so this is what's kind of I want to talk about what makes a whiskey a whiskey and what makes a bourbon a bourbon. Um, because I, I, you know, I think that that process for people listening who are, who are curious what they're drinking, I found this uh-huh. to be fascinating. Maybe it's because I like biology. Um, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about, you know, what is a whiskey? What's a bourbon from a definition standpoint, but then also what does that recipe look like? What's a mash bill? What's a, what's in the barrel? How do you char it? All that stuff. Well, the first thing people, some people believe that a, a bourbon is a type of whiskey. Okay. Um, and it and it has particular qualifications about it has to be I think it's 51 percent corn right but then the other grains that are in it are are manipulable some some bourbons are 80 percent corn okay some people believe that bourbon can only be made in Kentucky right that's not true right Okay. Um, I think it has to be made uh, in America. That that I think is a definition, to, which is kind of cool. Right. The same way champagne has to be made right. in France. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's bourbon, cool. Yeah. Bourbon is, by act of Congress, is <laughs> in Argentina. Yeah. It is. Yeah, that's great. They, the, the Congress <laughs> passed a resolution that said, Bourbon is a product. In order to be called bourbon, it has to be made in America. Now, I will tell you, I want to pause you for a second because I have, I actually downloaded that act of Congress. So I'm going to put it up on the website so people can see it. So <laughs> they okay. want to read through it. Okay, good. <laughs> so, uh, so, so we can start a, a whiskey can be a, a, a bourbon is made with corn as its primary ingredient. Yep. Okay, but then you can have rye, you can have malted barley. There are people who are making uh, distilled uh, drinks with all sorts of different um, kinds of grains now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so uh, it, it, that's a that's a that field is wide open. Yeah, okay? and that's the mash bill you're talking about. That's the the types of grains that the yeast Correct. are going to feed mash. on in order to create the alcohol. Correct. Yeah. Uh huh. And even the yeasts come in different strains. Right. Uh, so yeah. different. So different um, uh, whiskey distillers use different strains of yeast, and those yeasts can be proprietary. 
Okay. Um, Some people uh, even claim that it's like 150 years old, their strain. I mean, this goes back. This is crazy. And they collected the, there's yeast in the air right where you are now. Right. right. Okay. It's all over the place. And there are people who claim that my great, 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 great grandfather found his first, uh, the first yeast by putting a jar out on the, on the back porch. Right. And he used that to, to create his whiskey. Right. right. So, so the yeast is important, the water. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Jack, Jack Daniel, um, has a, has a stream running through it Mm -hmm. that they use. Right. One of the interesting things about Kentucky, uh, and I'm I'm glad you asked this, is how come how come whiskey, um, how come Kentucky became the the center for whiskey? And part of it, the big part of it, is the water, right? Yep. Which runs over the limestone. Mm-hmm. Okay, same. It's actually the same water that makes the same characteristic of Kentucky that makes Kentucky a great horse breeding state because it's strong bones yeah oh that's Uh, fascinating i didn't know that yeah we've been on tours where where folks have said i will not drink anything but the water that comes out of my tap and whisk in kentucky Mm -hmm. they don't they won't drink the bottled water because they want the limestone what it is that the limestone uh, creates in the water Wow. So the water, the yeast. Yep. um, And then the barrel, um, uh, the the distilling process. You know, you've seen those pot stills, those big things that heat heat the mash Mm -hmm. um, and and how things evaporate. Mm -hmm. The alcohol evaporates differently. Okay. The first part of the alcohol, it comes that comes off um, is not good. It's called the heads. It doesn't taste very good. Then there's the sweet center. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's the tails, which will kill you. It'll, <laughs> the, it will cause brain damage, right? Oh, my God. Um, and, but you can, I mean, you can use it for killing people and giving them brain damage. Yes. Yep. And, and cleaning your floors, too. Also cleaning your but, floors. Um, After you've yes, so different different distillers will use a different different um, uh, bandwidths for what they're going to take out. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. The, the the first the first stuff that comes out comes out as vapor. It gets cooled in those coils. If you've ever seen the coils, drips into a bucket. Right, not really in a bucket nowadays, but if we went up to the mountains in North Carolina, we right. would find. We could find a bucket. Well, and I will tell you, we're going to get a moonshine later on, but I want to, I'm going to put a link to a, um, a documentary called The Last One, which I think you have, you mentioned in your book, yes. which is about Popcorn uh-huh. Sutter. Popcorn Sutter. And in that, you watch him build a, a, a still, and he has this large copper tubing. It's just like you mm-hmm. said. I mean, it's it's like a, you know, a, a guy who could create 
you know, like a, a cook who doesn't use recipes and doesn't use measuring cups, but has delicious food. I mean, that's he is that equivalent. But I'll put that up, and it, it like what you're saying. But he does drip it into uh, through a rag and into Absolutely. into a barrel and into glass. So. And he'll stick his <laughs> finger in the end. He'll taste yeah, it and yeah. tell you no good. Absolutely. And then it'll keep coming. Yeah. Throw it into the fire. Throw it into the fire when it flames up. Then you're you're at 180 proof. Yeah. 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 And then and then it gets to the part where he says this will kill you. Yeah. And they, <laughs> They throw that out. Yeah, yeah. If they're if they're honest about it, right. that's what they do. Of course, of course. And then you know, you've always wondered how come there are X's mm-hmm. on a on a jug of of moonshine. Love that. Yeah. Well, the X's stand for how many times the contents has gone through the pot still. Oh, interesting. Because it can be refined and refined again. Mm-hmm. So if you see mm-hmm. a you see a jug with one X on it, yeah. not so good. Yeah. You get the three X jug, which is the one you always see in right. the cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's 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 a moonshine that's been run through Three times. That's interesting. This is also the third, the second time in a row. My last week's episode, we talked about triple X as it relates to shocking people. Um, and so this is the second non-sexual triple X that we've talked about in a row. Okay. And I'm very excited next, about this. And next week you're going to do pornography. <laughs> <laughs> right. Three in a row. Three X's three in a row. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But that's it. But that's a really interesting fact because I don't think people really realize that. And moonshine, we'll get into it later on. But moonshine is very important. And moonshine, when it comes out, is clear and it looks like vodka. But whiskey and it's bourbon, that, from what I understand, it rec- it must be aged, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Two years. Right. Minimum. Minimum. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. how, so how is it aged? And so, I think it has to be. Uh, I believe that bourbon has to be in charred American oak barrels, if I understand it correctly. Correct. I don't know yes. if whiskey has to be charred, but it definitely has to be in a barrel, I think. Um, does it, it? Well, there, let's put it this way. Uh, there are different levels of charring. Right, right, right. And if the, the charring um, creates a chemical reaction mm-hmm. uh, that adds a lot of flavor to the whiskey. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. probably wouldn't want, and I don't know of anybody who puts, who puts um, a good, good whiskey, good corn whiskey mm-hmm. in a barrel that hasn't been charred. But there are four different levels of charring, and each of those will give you a different taste, as will how long it sits in the barrel, as mm-hmm. will the, the weather conditions. Right. Yep. Around the barrel where it sits in the rickhouse, mm-hmm. the warehouse. Mm-hmm. So the higher up in the warehouse it is, um, the, it's going to be exposed to different temperatures. Now, mm-hmm. here's something that'll be that that I think you'll find uh, interesting. There mm-hmm. are some folks, again, you know, these younger folks who are trying to speed the process up. And one of the things they do is they take a they take a a vibrating rod and they put it into the barrel hmm. to to enhance and speed up ah. the interaction between the whiskey and the sides of the barrel. Interesting. And and I've also been to places where they blast heavy metal music. 
These are, you know, they're little sure. boutique places, but, but right, they, right. Just, they just blast the music because it vibrates the barrels just a little bit, and that will speed up the, the aging process. See, to me, that feels like analog innovation. You know, I mean, yeah, it's 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 not doing it. You're not putting it on a ship and throw or throwing it down the Mississippi. Oh, uh, well, but, but I'm okay with that. Do some people still do that? Do some people toss uh, it? Yes, there's Jefferson's really? Ocean, which uh-huh. gets put on boats, and it is circulated around the equator on the boat. <laughs> Jefferson's Ocean is the name so, of it. Jefferson's so it has Ocean. spent some time at sea. Wow. And now I hope that the ship is not just to shake up whiskey barrels because that is an incredible amount of pollution. But uh... Uh, uh, well, uh, I couldn't tell you what the size of their 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 boats are. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But it's it just it's so interesting because, oh, and this is something I wanted to mention. So the charring, I thought, was was a little weird. Like why? Again, to me, it seems like why do you want to dissolve charcoal inside of your alcohol? It seems weird. There's, it, I, I think that you're you're over concerned about how much of of the inside of the barrel actually falls into the the mix. Okay. Well, more about uh, how it dissolves into it, not necessarily chunks falling off, but you know, if you if you keep the whiskey in there, that's why it's brown. It's not brown because it's you know. It's aging. all about chemicals. It's okay. about people will tell you it enhances the flavor of vanilla, okay, um, a little bit of maple, and uh, a little bit of smoke, okay. Uh, you know, good scotch is is heated over peat, and you can taste that peat in a good scotch. Um, so so just just the smoke can alter the the flavor of the contents. So, so uh, I, I've never, I've never ha- had anybody really concerned about the fact other than to understand that it's an interaction, that they, that they get together and they pass chemicals from one to the other. The, the whiskey passes the chemical um, through the charcoal. And you know, actually, actually Jack Daniel, as a last step, one of the last steps, and this is what makes a Tennessee whiskey, actually filters the product through charcoal after it's come out of the barrel. Okay, I think it may get put back in the barrel, but it, it they, they, that's what gives it its unique taste. And the, the Jack Daniel does it once, Gentleman Jack, the the next level up from the same distillery does it twice and it takes out a lot of the impurities, the charcoal filtering. No, that's true. I mean, you may not have had anyone who's worried about it, but that's what makes me different, Coop. That's what makes me a different guy. That's, um, not, that's only one of the things well, that make it different. <laughs> sure. Wait, well, hey, look, in the 50s, doctors were telling you, you know, just to smoke cigarettes and it was great for you. So all I'm saying is I could be ahead of the curve, but I also know how um, charring is really interesting. So what you wanted to get to is that the charring of the barrel, um, it, it may have come from, you mentioned four things in the book, which I thought were interesting is one, charring kills bugs, which may have be yes. in the wood. Uh, it changes uh, it, 
some of the barrels that were used originally had pickles in them. So charring gets rid of the pickles or fish, right? You don't want that in your whiskey. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the Elijah Craig distillery uh, found a bunch of old barrels and then used them anyway. Um, And I think that they were a fire fire in the in the in the uh, distillery. Uh Um, And then overheating can sometimes make the wood pliable. So when they were actually forming the barrels, you know, some of the uh, maybe the less skilled uh, barrel Uh makers may have put a little too much heat on them burned uh-huh. them up, and then turned out it made delicious whiskey. Uh, but according to the book, you don't really know which one of these it was. could be a combination of all of them. Uh, but no. we have it today. It's the, That's part of the tradition yes. of whiskey. And you have to remember, all those stories come from drunk guys. <laughs> right, so drunk history, literally. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a drunk history again. <laughs> yeah. that was That's one of the remarkable things, and I say it at the very beginning of the book, is that, you know, you're writing a... You're writing a history about things that happened when people probably weren't in their soundest of minds yep, or right. they were doing things that were illegal. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and it's a, a lot of folk history. There are multiple instances in the book where we say, well, maybe it happened because of this and maybe it happened because of that. Nobody really knows. But here's yeah. the, you know, here's this four things that people you can read all of which are claimed claimed to be authoritative uh, right, but yeah, only yeah. until you hit the next web page and then you hear another story sure well because it's great because you start out this history book that you wrote um with a question about what is history and you uh-huh. bring up questions that i ask all the time that people look at me like i'm crazy but in some ways we're only we've only been alive for so long we really can only verify the history that we've experienced. How do we know what happened before? You know, a lot of history is is probably myth, uh, exaggerated stories, uh, histories told by the victors. You know, Absolutely. part of it's made up. We don't. We have no idea. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's this great, I mean, this brilliant quote that you put in there from Julianne Barnes, who says that history is when the imperfections of memory meet the inadequacies of documentation. Uh, I did a whole episode just recently about the the um, ina- in- in- inadequacies of memory imperfections so this is mm-hmm. very true how we remember stuff changes how we write it down changes and then the Ask. technology of accuracy on writing it down changes so we don't know yeah. coop is what i'm saying and the, and the 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 we we see that being fought out mm-hmm. at all times right it's today we're seeing it in terms of what's in a history textbook yep right yeah what can a teacher say what mm-hmm. books can be included in a library Right. These are, you know, they're tr- they're always troubling, yes. but it's a it's a constant vigilance over, and it's and it's it's a constant argument and a constant struggle over over what we call history, and with whiskey, my goodness, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's, there's there's no reason to believe any of it is accurate. Right. Um, because look who's telling the stories. <laughs> right. Well, you go, you know, it's great. Let's, let's, I want to get, to, I want to hit just some of the highlights in history because this is a history book uh, in a lot of respects. This was, this was amazing to me. If you talk about um, in 1620 when the pilgrims came over, they brought 42 tons of beer, 14 tons of water, uh, and 10,000 gallons of wine. Uh, and it's interesting because I was thinking to myself, well, you can just make the beer from the water if you really wanted to. So why wouldn't you bring more water? Um, but then you say in the book, and this is also, I guess, I think was true in the Wild West, is that the beer was safer than water because Absolutely. the barrels of water develop bacteria, algae, right. and, and all that, right? Right. I also, I also just to talk about 
about um, uh, drunk history again. Right. Um, uh, I also put forth the original hypothesis. This is my one and only original history hypothesis was that the, the reason why they were headed for Virginia and they ended up in Rhode Island was maybe because they weren't all sober. SWI, sailing while uh, intoxicated. Sailing, yes. They were sailing while they were drunk, and <laughs> they kind of missed the mark by just a couple thousand miles, a thousand miles. <laughs> you might be right. I, I love that. That's my contribution to history. Well, you've heard it here. Now that now it is cemented in history, now that it's been on the show. Um, and this is also great is early time. Um, you know, you know, everyone in school, uh, you know, if there's young people listening to this, you probably have to read the Scarlet Letter, famous Nathaniel Hawthorne book um, from the early pioneer times. But here in 1963 in Massachusetts, two interesting laws. Uh, 1933, that Massachusetts drunks, if you were— 1833. Uh, is it? I got sixteen. This is uh, wearing oh, a, a red letter D. 19. You said nineteen thirty. Did I? So oh, it must 16. be sixteen. Sixteen thirty-three. Yeah. This is way back, way back in pioneer way times. Back. Yeah. Um, they were instead of a, you know, they had to wear a red letter D around their neck for a year if they were a public drunkenness or would you know uh-huh. caught uh, being drunk in public. Um, and then you know there was in nineteen six. There I did it again. Sixteen thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. You had Massachusetts limited the amount of time that you could actually spend in a tavern. Now, how they monitored right. that, I don't know. Um, but it shows that even beginning in our nation's history, people were very concerned with what you drink, how you display uh, being drunk, and how much time you spend in an establishment that provides alcohol. Right. And there was an exception for strangers, too, okay. to those laws. Where they, it, it was okay for a stranger to say stay. Because it was a sign of welcome and friendship. Interesting. So the stranger could could drink more than the residents. Mm-hmm. That's. I mean, I I like that. I mean, that's you know, that's nice, right? I mean, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it was considerate. Cool. Sure, it was yeah. considerate of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but people have always had a funny relationship with alcohol, as as history has pointed out. Um, one of the other things that's cool in your book is at the end of every chapter, you do a couple different things. You talk about uh, you basically go over one type of whiskey that is um, uh, quintessential to the story you've just told. You go through a cookbook, a, a meal that would probably pair well with the whiskey. You talk mm-hmm. about the music at the time and then a toast that you would have over the whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, you know, what I loved about the early chapters was that at the end, you kind of talk about some of the whiskeys and just how different whiskey was, was back then and how it was made, but also uh-huh. how people nowadays are trying to create an authentic version of that. And so in the 1600s, you know, I think there actually is, a, I think it's the James E. Pepper distillery, uh, distillery uh-huh. tries to make a 1600 whiskey right. um, using, you know, or at least one that goes, uh, oh, and 1776 straight rye right, goes back to the Revolutionary War. But this James E. Pepper um, goes back to the 1600s. How do they do that? And do you think they do it pretty accurately? Not that any of us could tell anyway. No, not that any of us could tell. It's the same as if I said to you, would you like to hear my my um, uh, impersonation of George Washington? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you doing, Daniel? Spot on. Beautiful. Right. <laughs> right How'd yeah. I do? Amazing. So nobody, nobody knows. There's one, yeah. there's one that is a little bit different and that's okay. the George Washington distillery. Okay. okay. All right. They, they've done an impressive job. This is at Mount Vernon. You can visit Mount Vernon. 
You can go to the distillery and they recreated the distillery that George Washington built. Okay. Okay. And they, and Washington was a stickler uh, for detail. Mm -hmm. So they had the, they literally had the plans for what the distillery would look like, where everything would be, how it was built. And they had his inventories for his different grains. Okay. They've recreated the distillery that George Washington built. Wow. And Mm -hmm. they, they use no modern technology. Hmm. So they use the fingertip method. (laughs) They had some of the, 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 um, the wizards of whiskey come in and train them to understand what they were tasting. There's not a thermometer, a psychometer, there's nothing in it. And they've done their damnedest to recreate George Washington's whiskey. Now we, today we would call it moonshine because he never could keep enough around long enough to actually, actually age it. Right. Okay. Yeah. By our standards, it tastes a lot like vodka, but it's <laughs> very good. And they've actually now started to age some of it. So it's not exactly the same stuff. That's a that's a, a good example of somebody who's really gone out to do it. A lot of the other ones that are attempts to recreate are based on recipes. Mm-hmm. They're not based on trying to recreate the actual distillery itself right okay right, right, right. so yep. they have their, they have their grandfathers uh jack daniel is probably pretty close to what he was turning out hmm. though it's done at a volume now that's right enormous so you never really can tell but we kind of know the water is the same we kind of know they're using the same right. uh, wood for the for the filtering and things like that so uh, jack daniels get pretty close too these others, they, they can make the claim, mm-hmm. and some of them are really good attempts to do it, but it's like it's like impersonating George Washington. Right. Yeah, literally. I mean, because you're impersonating his whiskey, at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, it's kind of cool because for each moment in history, you kind of have somebody trying to create that historic whiskey. You even have people trying to create, yes. like, Wild West whiskey uh-huh. you know which is very different no, you know nobody's trying to well actually somebody is trying to but but i would suggest that what the what the cowboys were drinking uh, generally speaking is not something that would appeal to a modern taste sure. unless you like unless you like iodine <laughs> uh, tobacco juice uh-huh. yeah um and and lots of other things. Those are the two. Those Ex- are two extenders. They were called right. That's what kind of waters it down, Ex- right? Yeah, yeah. I I think that they probably <laughs> wouldn't have been uh, that honest about what they were handing Wyatt Earp. <laughs> Who claimed to be a teetotaler, but that's not even. That's, <laughs> he was that's a teetotaler for his time period. I bet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was yeah, maybe yeah. for his time period. Yeah. He also ran a brothel and a and a. And a, many saloons 
but he also claimed to be a teetotaler. <laughs> I don't... Right. Uh, yeah, Wyatt Earp's a fascinating figure in history. Uh, yes, two things I want to sneak in here in the Wild West because, uh, well, actually, I want to, before we leave the Wild, before we get to the Wild West, um, right around the, the 1700s in the revolutionary turn, turn of the uh-huh. 1800s, uh, there was a federal code that distinguished different alcohols from one another. And the definition you have in here for whiskey is that whiskey is less than 190 proof. Uh, so for those uh-huh. keeping score, that's, uh, what, 95% alcohol? Yes. Uh, less that's than- what, have you ever heard of Everclear? <laughs> yes. That, yeah, that's Everclear. Okay. Yeah. That's Everclear. <laughs> so less than Everclear um, mm-hmm. that has the taste, aroma, and characteristics associated with whiskey. That's I mean, it. yeah, that's the, the definition uh-huh. of the definition. Um, but that is that's knows federal. when you see it. You know when you see it exactly. Um, you know, it, it's that. That's that, I love that. I love that definition. Uh, but now let's go to let's transition to the Wild West here, uh, and I want to get into moonshining too. Um, but what was cool about the Wild West? I never knew this before. But tell the story about how the term "shot" came to be. Okay. Well, it was just a. Uh, uh, Cowboy would walk up to the to the bar, mm-hmm. and he he didn't have any money, mm-hmm. but he did have bullets. Right. So he would take a bullet and put it down on the on the bar, and he'd say, "Give me a shot's worth of whiskey." Right. That sounds like a joke. Cowboy bar. walks into a bar, hands a bullet, says, "Give me a shot," yeah. but it's the truth. No, that's that's it's true. That's how that that's how it came. You get a shot of whiskey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. And it still holds up t- to this day, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And also saloons in the Wild West time. Holy cow. The, some of the stuff that you were that I read in your book. I mean, there was one place where it was, uh, I think. Like the book. Uh, this is what I want to know because yeah. I'm really not getting a sense of whether you liked it or not. I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Um, okay. We'll uh, continue. So, one of the cool <laughs> things—I'm <laughs> just messing with you. Um, but one of the things that was great is Dodge City. Uh, you said had 1,200 people and 19 uh-huh. saloons. Uh, Correct. That's insane. And then Leadville, Colorado, had a saloon for every eight residents. Now, those uh-huh. numbers—that seems like 40 percent of all grain was was grown to make beer. Those are gigantic numbers. They seem high, um, but I don't want to question your research. But this is nuts. Let me give you, uh, Dodge City was a terminal for the wagon trains. Okay. So while there might have only been 800, 1,800 people there, in the course of a year, uh, hundreds of people would right. come through. Okay, that makes and they're sense. And they looking for some way to, and Leadville, Colorado was a mining town. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. so people from all around would come, even though itself it was very small. Right. And, you know, you 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 know the term, please don't shoot the piano player. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that before? Mm -hmm. He's doing the best he can. Yeah. That was a sign in in a, a saloon in Leadville, Colorado. <laughs> That's where it comes. Really? Did he? I mean, so how many? Do, do you know how many um, piano players got shot? <laughs> uh, 
uh, I could make up a number. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, that's right. That's right. As any other, no, any, no more accurate than the number you would make up. <laughs> right, right. Maybe uh, people would believe me. <laughs> no, that definitely. I, I, my reputation has been soiled with the amount of stuff that I've made up. So uh, I couldn't possibly. Um, but this, you know, here's another thing that, that's great. Um, so, you know, the, the temperance movement was also very interesting. You had prohibition. You had people who were using religion to speak out against alcohol. And, Absolutely. you know, as we talked about earlier, History is kind of made up. And the only thing that's more, the only thing that is twisted and made more to prove your point than history is the Bible. Um, case in point, you had the temperance temperance movement, people saying, oh, it's, you know, the Bible that found on alcohol, blah, 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 despite the fact that Jesus made water into wine. Um, but you had a, a pro-alcohol minister named George Garvin Brown who quoted a passage um, in uh, uh, Deuteronomy 14 that showed that the, showed the divine approval of alcohol, uh, which is there great because, you know, just like modern ministers, he just took a passage and said, hey, the Bible proves this because of this one passage. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's great. You can kind of, you know, it works both ways is what I'm saying. Of course. Yes, it does. Uh, it's, uh, it's great. And just like today, I mean, history, you know, they say it doesn't repeat. It often rhymes. Medical, uh, the Med- American Medical Association approved alcohol as a medicine to t- prove to, uh, uh, approved for 27 ailments, just like cannabis. Right. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not any different than what's going on today. Correct. You know, that's right. Um, all right. Let's get into moonshine if we can, before we, we okay. got, I know we're jumping around, but I want to get all this good stuff in before, before I run out of time here. Uh, I mentioned I, w- I watched this this documentary on Popcorn Sutter, uh, but this was great because Sutton. Sutton. I'm sorry, Sutton. Yes, because he, he's a yeah, reminds me of a football Sutton player, Cortland Sutton. Sutter's Mills was where was where um, gold was discovered in California. Oh, right. <laughs> that might be oh, what I'm confusing. Yes, Cortland. Sutton. I'm sorry, not Cortland Sutton. That's a football player. Popcorn Sutton. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a fact right at some point throughout this <laughs> conversation. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you a grade at the end of this thing, so you better, better pick it up. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Let me let me finish strong. Um, so moonshine was kind of always going going on, right? Like people people want to make their own alcohol. If you don't want to go buy it, you know how to make it. Why not? Uh, this kind of kicked up when prohibition hit uh, the 18th Amendment, which banned the everything of alcohol: buy, sell, use, all that. Uh, so people were making this in, in the, um, in the country. It's usually made out of corn. There's no aging. It's, it's all pretty clear. Correct. Uh, I also, and the, it's called moonshine cause it was cooked up on the light of, at the light of the moon and it uh, was the co- light of the moon and it was called Mountain Dew. That's like the fact of the podcast. Uh, moonshine was called Mountain Dew. Uh, yeah. anyway, so let's, let's talk about moonshine. How did, um, how did it kind of, what was the environment right around prohibition when people were doing this? How, how were they getting away with it? What were the penalties? What were the people doing? Well, there's two, there's two ways to look at it. The, the it, popcorn Sutton and his mm-hmm. gang. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, in the, in the, uh, the holler of Kentucky in the hills mm-hmm. of North Carolina, uh, uh, prohibition meant nothing to them. They went about their business. They'd been doing it forever, and they continued to do it. Their marketplace functionally did not change. Okay, mm-hmm. where things did change was in the cities. Okay, so Chicago, uh, New York, there there were more places to buy alcohol in New York City 
after mm. prohibition than there were before. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And that this is when it became this was the big business. This is Al Capone. This is George Remus, the original, the real uh, Jay Gatsby. That's right. Yep. That's right. Um, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald met George Remus mm-hmm. in the Sealback Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Right. And the rest is history. Well, before you, before you, before I want to pause you there because I got to give a shout out to a friend of mine who, in college, he was um, an English major. And as you know, if you're an English major, every teacher can kind of assign whatever novels they want to assign. He had mm-hmm. he he did not like The Great Gatsby, which is okay. He was forced to read it for four semesters in a row, and I remember him complaining every time. So I just wanted to give him a shout out. So he's getting his due okay. here as part of this episode. But uh, yeah, George Remus I, I original. Ever, isn't that crazy? I never want to read a book four times. Right. So, so <laughs> my sympathy goes out to your buddy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, continue, please. So that was a, that was a very different, um, uh, uh, completely different business. Was um, the the prohibition alcohol. A lot of alcohol uh, came from Canada. Mm-hmm. Scotch came down from Canada, so they got a lot of that. But they were turning it out in warehouses in these places and enormous amount of graft. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I hope I can get this right, but Al Capone has a um, has a saying that I, I start one of the chapters with. He says, uh, when I serve when I serve alcohol to my guests, uh, it's called a crime. Mm-hmm. When uh, th- they serve alcohol on Lakeshore Drive, it's called hospitality. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. So, so uh, you know, there, it was a. It, obviously, it was a huge business. It was an incredible failure. Mm-hmm. All they'd have to do is read the Bible, and they would know that people had been drinking alcohol for 2,000 years absolutely. and longer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this was not going to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so they discovered it was, a, um, it was uh, something that just wasn't going to work. What, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, it, it's interesting to watch how people kind of went out into, into the woods and would just build these stills and just the mm-hmm. ingenuity and that technology that's passed down. Because these are people without necessarily a formal education. You know, these are farmers. Correct. These are, you know, people who are mm-hmm. working the working the land. Uh, you know, it's hard work to do all that. But you can't you can't still on your property. And, you know, even in that documentary, which is very modern. Uh, he's, you know, it's Sutter popcorn's going out into a, into the woods and finding a place where no one can get to. And he's driving his truck out mm-hmm. there and building it and then bre- breaking it down right away. It's not permanent, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. there's, there's a lot of risk in moonshining, you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. There's, there, there certainly was, but a lot of it goes on. Um, so when we talk about the people who got caught, uh, we're talking about a small fraction of the people who are actually doing it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm in, I'm sitting here in North Carolina and I think a lot of people know this, but the origins of NASCAR are, are running moonshine. Yeah. Junior Johnson, one of the most famous NASCAR drivers of all time was a renowned bootlegger runner. Right. And that's how he got his start. 
He there in the book. There's this thing where the guy who started NASCAR uh, writes him a, a, a telegraph, which says, um, uh, "Junior can have a job for ten thousand dollars driving for NASCAR." As long as he's on probation. Right. <laughs> it's great. Well, because that the group loved fast cars, right? I mean, this is, uh, you know, these Absolutely. people who worked that's on the cars. They, they were all moonshiners. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, that's such a, I mean, it's it's quintessential um, to the American story, which I think is, you know, part of what, what I love about the book. One thing I got to mention here before we wrap it up with themes is, you know, um, this is probably, I think this might be the 11th mention of the in this in this show's history of the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, another historic point. We got the FEW Distillery in Evanston, Illinois, which is named after Frances Elizabeth Willard, ironically named named after her, of course, mm-hmm. because she was a leader of the temperance movement. And at the at the Chicago at the World Columbian Fair, Chicago World's Fair, 1893, she got thirty thousand people to hear her speak against alcohol. There, uh, huh? isn't that crazy? Yeah, well, that's coming out of a, a Upper Illinois mm-hmm. uh, distillery mm-hmm. too. In Evanston, and there's yeah. the picture. The picture on the on the label is is taken from the World's Fair. That's great. It's it's one of the structures that was built for the World's Fair. I would say one of the one of the themes that I you know if you if you're going to lay down some some original thought here I'm going to lay down one as well and I would say that the Chicago World's Fair might be the genesis of the modern age you know it's coming right out of the Industrial Revolution. Uh-huh. There's so many things that were created there that not only do we still feel their effects today, but it started innovations and even that quest for knowledge and search for innovation. I think it all started right uh-huh. there at that World's Fair. I think you I think you could you could certainly make that case. I'm trying I haven't thought about this, but I'm trying rapidly mm-hmm. to come up with a, a potential competitor. Mm-hmm. Um as as uh, that kind of seminal event, but I can off the top of my head. I don't want to give you any time to think about it because I want to finish as having the ultimate say in that matter. So I'm going to move uh-huh. along very quickly uh, <laughs> and mention uh, one other thing. You were you know you mentioned quotes. I got to stick a quote in here, uh, which is you open one of your chapters with a John Wayne quote. This surprised me a little bit here, Coop. I'm here to kick ass and drink whiskey, and I'm all out of whiskey. Great line. Mm-hmm. Now I know it. Maybe mm-hmm. this is a generational thing, but I know that as a rowdy, rowdy, rowdy Piper line from "They Live," which is "I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum." He uh, stole it. Yeah, I didn't know it was a ripoff. Oh, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, John Wayne, who was uh, also a, a famous drinker. I didn't. They had a. You had said they had to shoot exactly. his movies before noon so that he could get <laughs> he could get through them. And brought and all those gorgeous scenes you see that they did in the. In uh, that John Ford shot yep. in the what's the name of that valley? Oh, it's Monument Black Valley. It's beautiful. Oh, Monument Valley. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he brought in cases of whiskey. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I just watched The Searchers. I'm doing a whole um, uh, uh, top top 100 movies in The Searchers. I just watched there, uh, John Ford's there's gorgeous. There's a book out on The Searchers. You know, I I'm didn't. Sure, you know. No, I didn't. No. Yes, it's actually it's. I think it's called The Searchers, and the first half of the book is the is the real story hmm. about the girl who gets kidnapped, right. and the second half of the book is about the making of the movie. Oh, that's fascinating. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. And John Ford, you know, uh, Monument Valley, gorgeous time. Absolutely. He to- he basically told the world that that's what the American West looks like was Monument Valley. Yeah. Um, but this is, you know, and the themes of the book, now, I don't know if you were going for this, but I want to close it on this. What I got out of your book was how history was influenced by whiskey, but also alcohol, be it the um, the procurement of it or the uh, creation of it. Uh, there, whiskey, alcohol is involved very intimately with our, our nation's history. And also people's creativity was influenced. You know, a lot of people found their muse through alcohol. Ernest Hemingway, not the least of those. Mark Twain. Um, Ulysses S. Grant, um, but also that there's a limit, right? Like there's, there's, as you know, and you as a psychologist, neuroscientist would know this, that there's a limit where it, it's probably helpful to a point until it becomes mm-hmm. detrimental. So it is this, you're walking Correct. on a razor's edge here uh, with alcohol, but it's, 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 I, this is what I saw. I don't know if this is what you're going for, but this is what I saw as I was reading the book. Uh, ha- you, have you read the last chapter? Of course I have. I read everything. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I, 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 I bring it all together at the end. Uh, it's mm-hmm. called Tasting Notes for American History right. is the title of the chapter. Um, and it says it's, it's everything that you just said, that it's been, uh, it's been used for money. Mm-hmm. It's been right. used to, to um, reward people. It's been used to heal the sick. It's been used to do all sorts of things, but it also can kill you. Uh, it can make you uh, crazy. It can make you um, uh, uh, forgetful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what's most important is that people understand its impact on them. Mm-hmm. Right. And they uh, use it in moderation right. for them. Right. And that's when it works its best. Uh, obviously, it's addictive, and when you're addicted to something, it, it robs it of any joy at all. Right. Yeah. So the the book basically ends on that note. Yeah, and it's important to know, I think. Um, and that's a somber note to end on. I'm going to end on a silly note, which is I've talked a lot about zombie apocalypses and various different you know projects that I'm working on. You know, uh, I did a whole episode of Fascinating Nouns about um, the zombie apocalypse and what would be used as currency. And you just mentioned that it's been used in the past to barter with. Alcohol might be one of the per- – alcohol, cigarettes, toilet paper are great. They're easy to carry. Absolutely. You can create them. You can divide them into as, as little or as much as you want. Uh, I can see where alcohol might be uh, the next currency if we're able to grow cl- uh, crops after tr- catastrophic climate change. Uh, I think I'll go with toilet paper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I, I think you might have. A, I think you might be right there. Uh, but this, you know, this this can't be it, right? There's got to be. There's more questions. We've barely scratched the surface. It's a great book, and I'll get. Here's. A, I'll give you your satisfaction. I love this book. Uh, I thought it was great to learn about everything. You know, even learn a little bit about cookbooks and and uh, and the music of the times. But this can't be it. There's got to be. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? If they want to get the book or just have a conversation. Um. There's a, there's a, they, I, 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 they can get me um, uh, through American history. Uh, what is the, I think it, it's uh, American, um, uh, um, American history whiskey at Gmail. They can, they can send me an email that way. Okay. Do you have a website at all? Do you do social media? 
Yes, there is. There's a again. There's a there's AmericanHistoryWhiskey.com okay. website that has a link to the Gmail mm-hmm. account, so you can get me that way. And obviously, you can get me through Duke still. Yep. Yep. You just uh, uh, visit Google me, and you'll you'll get there eventually. And that's that's Duke the University, not Duke, you know, John Wayne, obviously, not the Duke. This is the Duke of North Carolina, right? Correct. It is it is the university. And and I'll make sure to have this. I'll make it easy for everyone. I'll put it up on the website, uh, which you can get to our website's fascinatingnouns.com, uh, Twitter at fascinating noun, Facebook at fascinating nouns. And of course, you might be listening to this episode, but if you want to watch it, uh, you can find that on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And all that stuff is on fascinatingnouns.com. Uh, but this has just been an, a, an incredible interview with you. This is such an, I'm just enamored by the history of whiskey and alcohol. And I think it's because I've got a very unique perspective because I am a third party person who doesn't partake, but does just, I'm really intrigued by this Coop. And, and you done, you did a great job with the book and I don't know if this is going to make you distill your own whiskey. Um, but you know, I, I may flirt with it in the past to use it for medicinal purposes or fuel for my car. So you got me on the right path here. Uh, okay. and I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking the time out for me today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You got it. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, and we even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is, once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. And speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of fascinatingnouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening.